Listener Production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. We're talking about something that most people would be shocked that still exists, Keith, and that is slavery. It sounds like something that should have been abolished hundreds of years ago, and yet it still exists. This is quite flabbergasting. Yes, it is. So um, slavery continues. It has a variety of forms. I chair the Anti-Slavery Society in Australia, as well as being a life member of Anti-Slavery International in London. One of our projects was buying children out of debt bondage. In other words, that these were children whose parents or grandparents had clocked up debts and the people who could calculate those debts said that your girls have got to come into our religious establishments to work off the sums of money that are being paid. The system is called trocashi and you get it in West Africa. So that, that's a sort of a debt bondage. Um, and so some of us have been involved in paying money to get those girls out and cancel those debts. Part of the problem with people being exploited is they just don't know how much money has been paid. Are they still in debt? We get the same situation, by the way, in Australia uh, with Indigenous workers who get paid uh, for the work that they've done in building up the rural industry in Australia, particularly in the Northern Territory, um, and they were paid in flour and and whatever um, and are actually owed a lot of money in back wages. So that's one form of slavery. You get obviously children making bricks and children making sporting equipment, although the big, you know, American companies, European companies are denying that that still goes ahead. So, yes, slavery uh, exists in one form or another. You've also, of course, got women um, who uh, are recruited into sex slavery. Um, A very good movie was made um, about the problem of... um, Eastern European women getting recruited um, to work in brothels in Western Europe. Um, and that was made into a, a movie. Um, so, you know, the, the, when you look around the scene, you know, a lot of people think of slavery, as you do, I think. Slavery is, you know, people working in the cotton fields picking cotton, <laughs> right? That's the, that's the image well, you get in children, right? Yeah. And then you get told that the Russians abolished slavery under the Tsar and then a few years later it was abolished in the United States, not by Abraham Lincoln, by the way, but by a later constitutional amendment. But in fact, slavery in one form or another continues to this day. So what is it? I mean, there are some horrific stories, Keith, that come out of Africa, for example, and Nigeria is a, is a, yeah. a, a recent example, where... These people are stolen essentially from where they live and taken to live in Europe or the Middle East and be slaves. How does this even happen? Like, talk us through the process of how people are stolen. Well, the particular article you're referring to is uh, called Inside the Country, where you can buy a black man for 400 American dollars. So, this is from BuzzFeed. So, this is a story not so much just of slavery, but also the whole problem of people leaving, in this case, Nigeria in the hope of a better life in Europe. And so if you go by land, you then got a series of of journeys that you need to make. And this poor fellow um, had over two years kept as a slave or or whatever, um, and in the end never did get to Europe. He was just sent home. So his family and himself had paid various sums of money to people smugglers um, who at every twist and turn betrayed him. So it wasn't a, a proper contractual arrangement. 
You know, they they promised to get him into Europe and they failed to do so, and instead he was sold into slavery. So he was then employed to wash cars. Um, and they do actually refer to one of my colleagues in the Anti-Slavery International, which is in London, um, who acknowledges that this is a form of slavery, uh, you know, just having people kept on site washing cars. Um, so the background of this is that this particular case is that Nigeria has a booming population and there are simply too many workers, young workers, coming on stream for all the jobs that are available. Um, and so this was a person who thought he could employ people smugglers to take him into Europe. Um, the key country in all of this is Libya, which is the country where you can buy the black man for $400. Remember, we're talking about Libya as a North African country and they are, and they are racist quite often because they distinguish themselves from the black Africans who begin on the other side of the Sahara, oh. right? So these are Arabs, they're not Africans. In Libya, right. In Libya, right. Now, Libya was run for many years by Colonel Gaddafi, mm. um, who uh, took over in the late 1960s, uh, got rid of the king at that time. So Colonel Gaddafi had been trained in Britain. And Colonel Gaddafi, uh, remember, bombed uh, a plane over Scotland. Well, <laughs> may have, may have. We well. still, we're still not sure about what happened there. But isn't, isn't, isn't the general intelligence consensus that that is exactly what happened? Maybe not. No, no. Oh, oh no, we've moved on a bit from there. But there were two people that he agreed should be held responsible. See, what has happened is that Colonel Gaddafi takes over Libya, then uh, tries to uh, stir up Arabs to rebel throughout the Arab world and fails, and then he becomes calls himself the king of Africa because he then says, forget the Arabs, they're a dead loss. So let's focus on stirring up revolution in Africa. And that fails as well. Libya is a population of just a few million people but have got immense oil wealth. And so uh, that that's why Colonel Gaddafi could afford to donate money to the IRA, etc., because he just had so much money coming in through all the oil drilling. And then um, Colonel Gaddafi by the way, who warned the West about Osama bin Laden. Colonel Gaddafi was a person who had a, a, a series of bodyguards, all of whom were attractive females. So he was not just standard Muslim. And he actually alerted the West to the rise of the extremist Islam because they'd tried to get rid of him before they went after the Americans. So, because he obviously clearly wasn't living a, a lifestyle that you would expect uh, mm. a, a strict Muslim to follow. So, Colonel Gaddafi tries to work his way into a state of grace with the Western world. So, that's why he cooperates with Lockerbie and, and hands over two individuals. We end up with a Scottish trial conducted in the Netherlands on a NATO base. Um, and the people are found guilty. Um, and Colonel Gaddafi then is welcomed back into the Western fold. Tony Blair, the British Prime Minister, was the first British Prime Minister to visit Libya uh, since the um, since Winston Churchill, World War II. So he sort of comes back into the fold. And then in 2010, 2011, we get the outbreak of the Arab Spring. So we get all these young rebels complaining about Arab leaders. So um, in Tunisia, they got rid of the leader. In Egypt, they got rid of the leader. And, of course, in Syria... The leader has held on, but at a terrible loss of life. In Libya, Colonel Gaddafi said, I'm not going to go the way of the Egyptian and Tunisian leaders. I'm going to stay in power and I'm going to kill anybody who tries to remove me. So in 2011, the international community 
came in on the side of the rebels and overthrew Colonel Gaddafi. Very interesting. President Obama said this was one of his biggest foreign policy mistakes. His Secretary of State, Hillary Clinton, said it was one of her biggest successes. So we get this distinction. I, I think Obama was correct. Um, I was actually broadcasting on Sunrise that morning of the, the attack, and uh, um, I thought it was a good idea. I've changed my mind since then because what has happened is that Libya has fallen into chaos. Colonel Gaddafi was eventually captured and Couldn't the same be said about Iraq? Iraq as well, absolutely. So in the case of Libya, this notion of um, the right of humanitarian intervention, responsibility to protect, turned out to be a dud doctrine, at least in the case of Libya. And Libya is now a country divided by different warlords. Uh, So what is interesting is that when Colonel Gaddafi was in power, the Europeans paid him money to prevent anybody from losing, using Libya as a jumping-off point into the European Union. So the Europeans bribed Colonel Gaddafi to maintain order in his country, where he was a brutal dictator, so he was already maintaining order. So Colonel Gaddafi maintained order. Uh, then he was overthrown by these well-meaning Americans, British and French leaders, right? Um, the country falls into chaos and suddenly it's now the gateway to Europe. So you've, you've got very little by way of Libyan forces who are too busy fighting each other to worry about these people streaming up through black Africa to use Libya as a jumping-off point for Europe. You get on a tangent, don't we? We start off with <laughs> slavery, we end up the whole history of Gaddafi, which is fascinating, by the way. So in terms of slavery and, this, and the trade that's happening in Libya, what role do they play in it, Keith? Well, what happened with this particular guy who's profiled in this article? Um, so he gets into Libya and then, remember he's paying people smugglers but they don't honour their side of the contract. And he then gets captured by the warlords who then get him to ring his sister and they start torturing him. And so his cries are then broadcast back into Nigeria through his mobile phone. And so another payment is made to get him released from the warlords. Um, but again, he's betrayed and that's how he ends up as a slave. You see, as I say, it's very when we talk about slavery, we, we mustn't think of the old-style textbook Idea of like people. people are kept in cages, on properties and right. made to do. And, and picking cotton. Yeah. We've moved on from that. Yeah. But, but slavery still does exist for millions of people around the world. And this poor individual has found himself as a slave. I might say the end of the story is that having been cooped up in various um, camps in Libya with um, payments being made to these warlords to try to get him released. In the end, the International Organisation of Migration, IOM, does fantastic work looking after the asylum seekers, got him out and then sent him back to Nigeria. And according to this article, he now spends his time giving talks to school children saying, don't try to flee this country illegally. Don't pay people smugglers. Because you just can't trust it. You just cannot trust them. And this is the stuff that happens all over the world, doesn't it, Keith, when people pay um, people smugglers? Like up on the Thai-Burmese sort of border up there, you hear horror stories about things that go on in the jungle between people trying to cross over the borders. See, people are so desperate to leave that they and they're willing to trust somebody with the money. People smugglers often are people who in the old days were doing smuggling drugs. They've just changed the cargo. They've gone from cocaine or heroin or whatever, and now it's people. You know, we've had cases of people from Western China ending up on the east coast of England. 
<laughs> what? They, they, so they travel all the way through Europe, which is a drug route yeah. right, for narcotics. Is that the Silk Road? <laughs> we have a, a form of Silk Road, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And they then ended up um, uh, in eastern England. Unfortunately, they're in a refrigerated vehicle which was pa- poorly ventilated. So by the time the back of the vehicle was opened, they were dead. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. We're talking about modern-day slavery because it still exists and it's prevalent and it is a multi-billion dollar industry, Keith, people people trade. But it's not like it used to be. We're talking about the sort of modern-day version of it. It's not the cotton fields, <laughs> as Keith <laughs> keeps saying to me, which is exactly what I was thinking in my head. Exactly. <laughs> um, old school. It's not like that. It's a very, very different form of slavery these days. But it, it does bring us to the thought that, you know, a lot of people when we talk, think about slavery in our heads, yes, there is the cotton fields, but also we think of gladiator, of course, and you know, people being held in cages and yeah. forced to fight or forced to provide entertainment like the old Romans used to do. How, like, slavery has existed as long as people, hasn't it, Keith? Oh, absolutely. It's as long as uh, people have been around. Um, the Australian government, to its credit, has introduced the Modern Slavery Act, uh, which we're having to see how it's going to work out. But in a sense, it's a warning to companies about where they source their products from. Now, this is just coming into operation, so I don't want to be too enthusiastic or too pessimistic. I'm, I think it's a subject for a later program, actually going through and see what it means for the Australian companies. As I say, it's just happening at the moment, so I don't want to make too many comments about the legislation, but I'm glad that the government um, has decided to introduce it. It was a good step. We've had cases of slavery in this country. We've had um, maids, for example, who've been brought into this country and sex workers mm-hmm. who are promised, uh, you know, you come to this country and you'll work in large mansions, etc. but they end up as sex slaves. And then they, they get their passports taken from exactly. them? Exactly. Yeah, right. And what about fruit pickers? Well, I know that's sort of more of an obscure example, but you get fruit pickers and so forth that are promised the world as well that go to properties quite remote and then paid next to nothing. Yep. So whether that's going to be covered in all this new legislation, the Australian government's legislation, we've got to find out. But yes, that is a risk. The people are recruited from the Pacific Islands, where, by the way, we used to recruit slaves. Remember, this, these are the uh, people who were recruited from the islands, the blackbirders, as they were called, who brought the, the slaves over, to, particularly to Queensland, to work in the sugar fields. Today, they are, uh, they're employed to go around, you know, as you say, picking the fruit, etc. I actually support the theory behind that because it enables them to repatriate money back to the islands. In the case of the Philippines, for example, a major source of income for the Philippines is actually the money that is remitted by the Philippine maids back to the Philippines. They are called the heroines of the Pacific, of the Philippines, because they're sending so much money back home. They lead an atrocious life. Mm. They get badly treated quite often by those unscrupulous people in, in the Arab states the, in, the, in the Middle East. Uh, They work very hard. See, in Saudi Arabia until recently, a woman couldn't drive her own car. So you needed a million migrant workers to drive cars. Oh, isn't that (laughs) extraordinary? Uh, The only people who could drive their own car as a female was a doctor who was classified as an honorary male because obviously she's got to visit her patients. But so she was classified as an honorary male. Oh, as you know, they're, they're seeing a few changes, so they're trying to make driving for women uh, more accessible. 
Um, but the um, men who, who work there also work in atrocious conditions. So they're over from the Philippines and other societies as migrant workers. Mm. The people doing the football stadium in Qatar, you know, we're keeping an eye on those people. They're using migrant labour. Are those migrants from elsewhere around the Middle East and Asia, are they being well-treated? Well, it's interesting because most, I don't know how many people would know, but in a lot of those Gulf states particularly, like no one, it's all the wealthy people don't do any of the menial tasks at all, like no cleaners, no nope. builders, no nothing. They don't come from the United Arab Emirates, for example. They're not Saudi Arabian locals. Those guys are the ones being driven around. There's yeah. no one working those sorts of jobs, That's in right. working class jobs. It's all imported. And this shows, I think, some of the problems we're trying to define slavery nowadays because, as I said, we're away from the old image. Um, a standard one is, for example, is child labour. Now, children, um, I was as a boy, I used to go around delivering newspapers. So I had a newspaper around and I would then go on to school. But, of course, in many other societies, you'd be out helping on the family farm and you won't be getting an education in mm. the school. So there's a whole issue of child labour there. On the one hand, you're giving them some money, maybe the only income that entire family receives, but at the same time, are you easing into the amount of time that was available for children to be educated in the schools? So well-meaning activists will say, well, no more child labour, in which case then those families go without food. It's such a fine line. Oh, it's very <sighs> complicated. You know, the debate about slavery mutates and changes and it's very complicated. Um, but uh, So that's why the Anti-Slavery International, the one in London, has been going now for 150 years, over 150 years, um, because the, the need for it continues, even though slavery itself and the slave trade. So the slave trade was moving people from, particularly from Africa to the Americas, now, of course, the slave trade is moving um, sex workers from Asia into Australia and elsewhere. So that's slave trade. And then slavery is the actual employment of the individual, either picking the cotton in the Deep South or um, cutting down the sugar cane in Queensland. It's a very complicated business, but it shows the need still for Anti-Slavery International in the case of Great Britain or our one in, in Melbourne, the Anti-Slavery Society. Keith, is always fascinating. Thank you. Global Truths was presented by Dr Keith Souter and me, Kate Mack. Produced by Liv Proud. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Listener.